Welcome to Space Nerds, your source for intergalactic science fiction and science fact. Engines primed, engage! Hey, this is Alexandria, and I love dystopian fiction! So I'll be covering Black Mirror. I'm Jane Smith, and we're going to be talking about Firefly. Who's excited? And I'm Douglas Gale, co-host of Doug Space Nine, where we talk about Star Trek. I'm Jesse Mercury, and I'll be your constant cosmic companion, bringing you the weekly space news and sitting down with these amazing friends to talk about science fiction. We are Space Nerds! What's up, Space Nerds? Welcome to the show. We've got an awesome show for you this week. Jane is back to talk about Episode 7 of Firefly, Janestown. But before that, it's the Space News with Alexandria and myself. This week, we're talking about a lunar space elevator. Space News! All right, Alexandria, you ready for some Space News? Let's do it. A lunar space elevator is actually feasible and inexpensive, scientists find. A lunar space elevator. Do you have any idea what that means, just reading that title? With, at the risk of sounding dumb, an elevator from Earth to the moon? That's exactly what I thought it would be. Um, it's, and that's actually pretty close to what it is. But this this is a really interesting thing that's been floating around the internet recently. But Okay. Okay. From NASA and ESA to just... What? <laughs> oh, we're having a good time okay. today. Uh, this is from... <laughs> this is from Observer.com. The Observer. This is from The Observer. While government agencies and space entrepreneurs all focus on building a spaceship to transport humans between Earth and the moon... A pair of young scientists from Columbia University have a distinctly sci-fi-esque idea that may actually work and cost far less than a rocket spaceship system. In a paper published on the online research archive, R- R- ARXIV, in August, Columbia, Columbia astronomy students Zephyr Pen... I can't even say these names. Arsiv? Arsiv, sure. Zephyr Penoyer and uh, Emily Sandford proposed the idea of a lunar space elevator, a great name. which is exactly what it sounds like, a very long elevator connecting the moon and our planet. Uh, the concept of a moon elevator isn't new. In the 1970s, similar ideas were floated in the science fiction of Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, but the Columbia study differs from previous proposals in an important way. Instead of building the elevator from the Earth's surface, which is impossible, impossible. with today's technology. Rota- and rotation. Exactly. It would be anchored on the moon and stretch some 200,000 miles toward Earth until hitting the geostationary orbit height, about 22,000 miles above sea level, at which objects move around Earth in lockstep with the planet's own rotation. So it's an elevator from the moon into uh, Earth's orbit, but not all the way down to Earth. Yeah. So instead of flying directly to the moon, you, you would... fly to that little platform, and then the platform would take you to the rest of the way. Exactly. Like, you'd fly up into, um, like, Earth's orbit, and, and then, then transfer onto this the tube, elevator. And then the tube would suck you up. All the way to the moon. And this could, this could be a thing that's built someday. How crazy is that? No. No? No. Not crazy or not, not put, happening? I put, not happening. I put my foot down. <laughs> Tell I'm, me more. I'm putting my foot down. I think that in this case, first of all, Zephyr, love your name. Second of all, like, of all the things that need to be created, an elevator to the moon, Jesse? I'm for it. Really? Absolutely. Of all the things... Well, okay, if we are colonizing the moon, or if we are doing space tourism you, to the moon, or if we're using the moon as a jumping off point to travel to Mars, an easier way to get to the moon could be very useful. Yeah. 
An elevator to the moon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll read a little bit more Could of this article. Going. Dangling the space elevator at this height would eliminate the need to place a large counterweight near Earth's orbit to balance out the planet's massive gravitational pull if the elevator were to be built from ground up. This method would also prevent any relative motion between Earth's surface and space below the geostationary orbit area from bending or twisting the elevator. Yeah, so I mean, obviously... But, it, but so, the, so, so the moon, as it waxes and wanes, as in like rotates around us, Yeah. what would that mean? That mean that, you know, that little tube or whatever the elevator would look like would just be hovering over... The Earth? Yeah. Yeah. Would it be visible well, I mean, you've heard of the dark side of the moon. There is a side of the moon that never faces Earth. Uh-huh. As it, like, I don't know, I don't remember the name, but our orbits are locked. Mm-hmm. Or, or that's not even the correct way to say it. But uh, so here's the Earth and here's the moon. Yes, and one side you. of it yeah. is always mm-hmm. facing Tell us. Me more about so this. if you have that space elevator coming off of it, that elevator would always be facing the Earth. Right. So, I, yeah, I would assume that we'd be able to see it from, from the planet looking okay. up. I mean, definitely with a telescope, but I feel like it would be. I mean, it, it's probably not going to be very wide, you know, um, but I, th- what I would be worried about is like, you know, uh, this space elevator crashing into space debris or, True. or like, like a comet coming through, and a comet coming through, through all, all of the like hundreds of thousands of satellites that SpaceX is trying to put up in right. the next few years. Right. Uh, which is Do another article I found. satellites float up that? Oh, I guess satellites. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know about, you know, like where are satellites in relationship to where this Lunar elevator would be. I just mm-hmm. don't know that much about this, but I just I find the idea just like really exciting and really interesting, and I would be for it. Hmm. I don't know. I just feel like I feel like that's that sounds. What is the word I'm looking for? Extravagant is not the word, but it just feels like not like unnecessary either. Because like opulent, maybe like why why do we need? I guess if we're trying to colonize, then sure. But. Yeah. I don't. I, I guess I just don't understand. I'm just such an optimist. I'm looking to this future. You where, are. You're looking like really happy. Yeah, totally. Where, we, where humans won't ruin it. Yeah, totally. Cool. Or maybe we just need an elevator to get off Earth quicker because it's all going to be destroyed by climate change Isn't because that, that rude? astronaut Isn't that rude? denied it. And then we need the children here. Like that's fine. That's great. Um, after doing the math, the researchers estimated that the simplest version of the lunar elevator would be a cable thinner than a pencil and weigh about eighty-eight thousand pounds which is within the payload capacity of the next generation NASA or SpaceX rocket. So it's they would basically like extend a wire that you would like travel up and down. This sounds a little more ridiculous. Yeah, this becomes a little more like <laughs> You're looking at me like I told you so. <laughs> you got, So what you're going to do is, okay? So we're going to take you up to where the landing pad is. You're going to take this hook. You're going to clip it to the cable. After you clip it to the cable, we're going to just launch up. And we're going to just have you go straight to the moon. All right, everybody ready to go? Let's have liftoff. I'm in. I'll go. Uh, The whole project may cost a few billion dollars, which is, quote, within the whim of one particularly motivated billionaire, says uh, Penoyer, which I think is Zephyr. Zephyr. Yeah. Future moon travelers will still have to ride a rocket, though, to fly up to the elevator's dangling point and then transfer to a robotic vehicle, which would climb up the cable all the way to the moon. Dangling point. Y'all have fun with that. (laughs) And that's the space news! Space news! In your face. In my face. All right, it's Firefly Day. Jane's back. Yes. Here we go. It, not only am I back, but Jane Cobb is back. And Jane's town is Jane's back. Jane's town. <laughs> it happened. We're yeah. in your town today. It's true. The, the hero of Canton, the man they call me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I did love when he sang that. Yeah. That was great. He does a really good job. Um, how would you summarize this episode? This is episode seven of Firefly. How would you summarize this? Um, whimsical? <laughs> <laughs> Muddy? <laughs> Muddy, yes. Um, yeah, we travel to Canton, where yeah. we discover that Jane has become a folk hero mm-hmm. for things he didn't mean to do. It's... Robbing from the rich and giving to the poor. Definitely one of the more comedic episodes. Yes. I feel like, um, and this one was actually aired pretty early, I think, um, when they actually came on on Fox, but you feel like there was a producer's note that said, just make a fun, lighthearted romp of an adventure. Right. And just make it just, you know, not so serious all the time. Yeah. For <laughs> me, it's too much, I think. It, it's over the top. I think this episode is a hair too broad for my tastes. Yeah. This has never been one of my favorite episodes, mm-hmm. but I also don't dislike it at yeah. all. I really enjoy it, and it's, every time I watch it, I chuckle. It's entertaining. Yeah, there for were sure. various points throughout the episode. There's like, that's still funny. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's other points where like, did did that need to be that big? You yeah. know, like for me especially, uh, the character of Stitch, which mm. is Jane's old business partner who yeah. he like no, he didn't throw him under the bus he threw him out of the out of spaceship the <laughs> and he's been locked up in canton for four years mm-hmm. in a tiny little box yeah that's one of the most horrific forms of torture that i've seen <laughs> and they just kind of like glaze over it in such a light-hearted like campy episode right it's like this person has been in a tiny cube for four years right. of his life right which i mean the way that they present it doesn't even make sense because mm-hmm. he can walk when he stands up and R- like like that wouldn't happen like unless they like, let him out and pee in a tiny a box day. and i don't know well they it's, were on like stilts over water so i oh, feel like they just poop and there's pee probably out the just bottom. like a hole that it's really it horrifying it's, it's this is one of those awful. things that got got into my head mm-hmm. at, like whatever teenage year I saw yeah. Firefly for the and first time. You. I think I was actually in college when I saw this. So like late teens, mm-hmm. early 20s when I saw it for the first time. Yeah. Maybe. Or was I in high school? No, I think I was in college. Um, and this like really stuck with me mm-hmm. as being horrific because I'm someone where I need to adjust all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, like if I, if I'm sit, if my knees are bent for too long, it starts to really hurt and I oh, just stretch yeah. out my legs. Like it like, makes you think about being on a plane for just a couple of hours and yeah. you're just like stir crazy yeah. after a few hours of not being able to stretch out your legs. Exactly. Fully. Like the idea of not being able to stand up straight for four years is, mm-hmm. is a literal nightmare, like yeah. worst nightmare mm-hmm. scenario. For sure. Um, and it's really disturbing and also kind of played for laughs, which disturbs me a little bit. Yeah. And well, only a little bit, though. Like, I don't know. It's just not, you know, it's not my favorite episode, but I do I do really enjoy it. There's a he's, lot I really love about it. He's clearly physically okay. So maybe they let him out for, like, yeah. potty breaks or, like, A couple of squats. Squats a day, you know. Yeah, because so he was in good shape. He was in good physical shape he enough to... He beat the shit to, out of Simon. Yeah, Simon went down. And Relatively like, not that hard, but... It was, it was Simon. He still did it. But, yeah. Yeah. An <laughs> active adult. Exactly. Yeah. How do you feel about this episode? Uh, not one of my favorites, even yeah. though it's got, you know, my namesake in right. it. Not really my namesake. I was born before the show, obviously, <laughs> but not that young, guys. He is your namesake. He's my namesake, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's not... I, I do appreciate that they try to give Jane some depth in this one. Um, it, it, the last, like, five minutes of the episode, mm-hmm. really. Um, he's really just... 
being himself for most of the episode up until he's confronted with someone who believes in him and not just one person but like a whole town yeah but that one kid in particular but that one person believes in him so much that he's willing to lay down his life to protect jane and that take an actual bullet he gets shook from that and and you can tell that it really like profoundly affected the way that he looks at the world now like, yeah, it was co- it was a cool piece of character development for Jane because mm-hmm. his arc in this show is like first of all he's scared to go to Canton right. because he thinks that he's a criminal there mm-hmm. and then he shows up and and to everyone's astonishment he is this hero that has a mud statue of him right because <laughs> there's like the mudders and they all they live and breathe mud <laughs> it's 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 what they do they drink it too they drink they, it mudders yeah. milk mudders milk. But, um, so yeah, it makes you really like realize it's all about Jane's perspective of the universe. And like, he thinks that everyone is going to be thinking about him the moment they touch down. Right. And he's like, there's no way that they're not going to recognize me. I have to wear a disguise. Right. And his because disguise is hilarious. It, it's pretty funny. It's like, t- <laughs> it's terrible. It's like the Clark Kent Superman version of like, I'm going to put on some goggles and right. no one will recognize me. <laughs> right. But but he's obviously thinking everyone here is going to know that I'm here because mm-hmm. they're all thinking about me all the time. Right, because he's a very selfish person. He's a very selfish person. And, and then it turns out that it's true. <laughs> but in the opposite way. But in a different way, they all revere him and he, it, it doesn't just throw him, but like everybody. There's yeah. a good like five minute scene of just reaction shots. I love the reaction <laughs> shots. Like Kaylee... And Simon, in particular, had some really wonderful reaction shots. Wash, Wash does a really good job, too. But they, they all did great. I mean, it's, it's just, really funny. Yeah. And you can see the cast just loving acting mm-hmm. together. Yeah. Just like the chemistry is in every episode is wonderful. Yeah. But th- just playing off of each other and it's it's wonderful. It's yeah. Good to see him just go to town. Yeah. And it's also fun to see him kind of go from hating being recognized and revered mm-hmm. to instantly starting to love it. Right. Like at first, you know, he reacts poorly to it, but then they start giving him free drinks. He's like, well, maybe I'll get on board. Yeah. And then like women want to sleep with him and they're singing songs to him. And it's and- really like exactly what he always wanted. Just yeah. like money and women being thrown at him. Yeah. For not really anything for that nothing. he did. Yeah, for like totally. no work. Yeah. It's the best case scenario for him until... He starts to care for these people. Yeah, that's what I love his about his arc in this, yeah. is that he starts to feel a sense of responsibility mm-hmm. over the fact that he's recognizing that he has brought joy to these joyless lives. Right. And he's become a hero in a way that maybe means something. And, and it feels like he needs to be a role model or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it gets under his skin. Yeah, I love that. That's like a, a layer of... Um, adultness to this mm-hmm. childish character oh yeah yeah he grew up a little bit yeah totally and and then you know his whole speech at the end uh after that kid takes a bullet for him he's like you know no no one gives away money mm-hmm. especially not me like don't worship me right and then he knocks over to, his own statue he tries to enlighten them a little bit because like these people obviously have never been off world yeah or if they have like they aren't that experienced in the ways of the world they they make clay or mud or ceramic or whatever all day every day so they're not as versed in the ways of the verse (laughs) (laughs) and i think they might be slaves 
I mean, it's kind oh, of yeah, yeah. alluded to that that magistrate, magistrate yeah, says he owns people. Yeah, he so. does say he owns people. Oh, yeah. what a disgusting character. So the moment you meet him, he's immediately like... Immediately slimy. You're just like, yeah. ugh. What does he say? You know, oh, uh, people, only the people I own call me magistrate. Yeah, yeah. Or something like that. I only make the people I own call me by my title. It's like, right. oh. It's so slimy. gross. So gross. And you can tell in Inara's eyes that she's just immediately like... Ew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then she covers it so well with like professional, right. like, not respect, but just like composure. Be- composure, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just like, I'm going to keep it cool. Uh, yeah. And she even says later in the episode that if, if she had been hired to be a companion to him, mm-hmm. she would have said no because she was there for his son. Right. Which she didn't prejudge based off of the grossness of his father, which <laughs> is good because that gets them out of a jam at the end of the episode. It really does. The landlock. Yeah. She saved him again. Yeah. It's great. So I, I think there is a really interesting moral question at the center of this episode. And you know, I love that type of shit. Right. But is it better to believe in a false hero and have hope or to know the truth and to be miserable because mm. of it. What do you think? I love to be miserable. Miserable. <laughs> love to be miserable. So, um, for me personally, I'd rather know and be just, the answer just w- wallow. <laughs> wow. I, I, I want the knowledge. I want, I, I want all of the information at my disposal, even if it means yes. my chances at happiness are ruined. I wouldn't want to be ignorantly blissful. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so if you were like living in the Matrix, you'd rather be brought out and live in the gross world. And eat the gruel. Because it's true. Wear the rags. Yeah. You're a gruel and rags type of girl. <laughs> yeah, because I mean... <laughs> if it's real. If, if I mean... <sighs> If the alternative is false, then you don't want it. Well, no. I mean, it depends on the situation, I guess. But if we're talking heroes and Matrix reality, then yeah, I'd I'd much rather have the option of knowing that something is concrete and, and working towards changing the world in fact instead of in fiction yeah um and then you always have the option of going back into the matrix so by coming out you actually kind of gain superpowers because all the people that like plug back into it then can dodge bullets and right jump over buildings i guess that's true so there's a silver lining <laughs> for having to wear rags and eat gruel <laughs> yeah, that's so true it's... i didn't think of it that way <laughs> that's really funny you might be cold and, and hungry all the time Ugh. but at least you can fly you know <laughs> <laughs> wow okay yeah I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, I I don't know where I sit on this. I think that I think that the times in my life where I felt like I did know what I thought, that's mm-hmm. what I thought. That I'd rather it be real yeah. than than be false and and feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, based off of things like Star Trek Generations, the idea of the Nexus. Did you watch that movie? Yes. Is that the one with Shatner where yeah, he, yeah, yeah. there's like a ripple? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I saw ripple. that one. I saw oh, that one. I love okay. that movie. Yeah. But yeah, inside of the Nexus, mm-hmm. everything is is perfect, right. but it's not real, so it feels empty. Right. So all these characters decide to leave it behind, you mm-hmm. know? Um, spoilers to Star Trek. For anyone Generation. who hasn't seen that, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> great fucking movie. It's pretty great. Um, yeah, and I love the message of that, that, that it's better to to know reality than to be blissful. Because I think yeah. that that in many ways is true. Um, but then in this situation, in this episode, 
I kept thinking, man, like, why are they trying to take away these people's hope? You know, like, hope is so important. And I've been watching a lot yeah. of The Flash and Supergirl and <laughs> okay. Arrow and all that recently. And it's yeah. all about hope, you know, mm-hmm. even if giving false hope, um, it, even if it's false, sometimes hope is more important than truth. And I, I don't know if that's true or not. It's just like what I was thinking about during the episode. I think that's a really good point. It, it really depends on the situation. Like, if there is zero chance of these people ever breaking out of their jobs, I mean, you know, or, or getting off world. Maybe one of them could be a maid in the in the magistrate's mansion, you know? Like, there's there's opportunities for them to get out of the mud pits, I'm assuming. Right, but they're still slaves. But for most of them, they're probably going to live and die there. Right. So the most hope they're ever going to have is believing in this fable of Jane Cobb. So... I think that's a white lie situation of yeah. If that gets them up in the morning, so they can go make some mud bricks or yeah. ceramic bits for spaceships, then you know, <laughs> give it to them. Yeah, I mean, if I okay, if it were me personally living there, I would want to overthrow the magistrate. That would be my goal. Yeah, I'd like, want to like start a rebellion. There's a they said it. If there's enough of them together on a thing, they yeah. can't be stopped. So yeah. all you've got to do is make sure that everybody's on board with the rebellion and then you go live in the nice clean house. <laughs> yeah, I think that if I were Jane and I found myself in this scenario mm-hmm. unknowingly becoming a folk hero, mm-hmm. um, my first instinct would be like, well, let's lead this rebellion. Yeah. But right. then I don't know what I'm doing to mm-hmm. lead a rebellion and I end up being responsible for innocent deaths and right. maybe we fail. So I don't know, it's so tricky. I mean, I... I feel passionately that everyone deserves to be free mm-hmm. and have equal opportunity. For sure. Uh, and none of these mutters have either of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, is giving them false hope a good thing? Or or is it better to just try to actually change the system? You know, obviously that's better, I think. But if you don't know what you're doing, then it could be so dangerous. I don't know. It's really complex and yeah. interesting to think about, you know, what is right and what is wrong in that scenario. I I can only speak for myself saying that I would definitely want to have all of the information available to be able to make the right choice. If you don't mm-hmm. have the information, you can't really choose. Okay. Your choice that's is an being, argument. That's a very good point. You. <laughs> very good argument for telling the truth about Jane to the people. Yeah. But... Yeah, and that, but you might run into a situation where they're not... Like, he could rile them to fight mm-hmm. if they believe in him, but if they don't, maybe he can't. <laughs> and if fighting is the only way for their freedom, is that... Then then does that lie become necessary? Then, yeah, then maybe you need it for any yeah. significant change to come about. But then that's, like, my opinion that they should fight. It's not necessarily their choice, and I'm pushing them into right. that through a lie. And again, you're, right. you're manipulating them. You're not giving them their own choice. So I, yeah, totally. I think it's better to err on the side of truth. Provide the information, or at least make it available. Like yeah. for anyone who wants it. Yeah. Like, you know, if you flip over the the thing that says Jane Cobb at the bottom of his feet, it'll tell you the true story. Like you don't have to read it, <laughs> but it's there. Mm, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I think I think information should be available. I which, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think I do. Is the the main premise besi- behind uh, libraries mm, information yeah. make it available to the masses? And we know, know that like, you love libraries. I do. Just a little <laughs> plug for your public library. So yeah, I think that that also makes me think of the fact that some information is easier to notice than other information. Like if you are 
Like, like exa- for example, you know, the way that the news re- is reported in our country. Oh, yeah. You can take the same story and lean on one fact or lean on another yeah. and have a completely different slant to the story where the where the meaning of the story is completely different and obfuscated by mm-hmm. a point of view and an agenda. Mm-hmm. So then you run into this problem of like, how can how can you tell people what is true and also, you know, be respectful of what is best for them? That in a way is a that they'll very hear it. Difficult question. I mean, yeah. some people obviously put a deliberate spin on things. Like we know that there's talking about news. You know, there's a whole bunch of different cable news channels out there that very uh, specifically choose their words and their guests and like the things that they'll even talk about. Yeah. Um, how do you make something 100 uh, percent objective? Like just using language the english language at the very least is very nuanced so Mm -hmm. it's really hard to pick specific words to describe an event or facts or things without giving it some sort of bias totally Uh, yeah absolutely you have to be very careful to walk a a neutral uh, path yeah and even if you think you aren't biased you probably are right or or some sense of bias is slipping through Mm mm-hmm Maybe uh, just based on your vocabulary, whether you yeah. mean it or not, like the connotation of certain descriptions, like th- this may be the only way that you know how to, uh, like, get, get something across. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm losing words right now. Like, the, the thing that I'm trying to <laughs> that was so put into words like, is not hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> just happened. But, like, you can't always... Oh, you you can't always filter um yeah. what you're trying to say. <laughs> I had a little too much filter right there. That was that was yeah. clogged filter from brain to mouth. <laughs> well, it's a real thing though, and it's like a concern for anyone like especially you know, it's definitely a concern for anyone who's having a conversation like mm-hmm. we are right now one on one that other people can hear later and take mm-hmm. what we say in whatever way they think we said it. And oftentimes, I think they could take things in ways we didn't intend, and that keeps me up at night as right. a podcaster. You know right. what I mean? You, you have to think about those sort of things yeah. when you're we're putting together a show, and you're going back and you know editing out dead sound or whatever, and yeah. making it a cohesive little package for people to listen to. But I don't know. Some people aren't so thoughtful, uh, or or maybe they're deliberately malicious about um, oh, making sure. people think a certain thing. Yeah, and like taking taking people out of context in a malicious way to try to make it sound like they said something that they didn't. Right. Um, Yeah, totally. And I, I were sometimes I get paranoid about that because I've put so much of myself talking out there that it'd be really Mm -hmm. easy to misconstrue a lot of what I've said. But the other side to that is that, you know, at a certain point you have to stop caring about these things and just live your life. But you, these are things that can totally. lock up a person oh and yeah make it so you can't even express yourself because you're so afraid of how you're gonna be taken you can be paralyzed by like indecision or yeah. or just the fear of like what if i do this or right. what if it comes across as that like you just at some point you have to just be right <laughs> you kind of have yeah, to come to a zen point i think it's a good thing to be conscious of but not a mm-hmm. good thing to dwell on right and whenever i've dwelled on it it's caused me harm yeah so i yeah. know that i it's like I'm, I'm a pretty anxious person, but and you know, peopling is hard sometimes. Sure, but 
sometimes you'll have a conversation and then it'll like replay over in your mind, just like over and over. And you're like, oh, yeah. how could I have totally, I should have said a different thing or like that was the wrong time to open my mouth, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just like, and it haunts you for the rest of the day. And then you just have to like eventually just get past it and just like, okay, yeah, I put my foot in my mouth right there. Just deal with it and move on. Oh my God, that happens to me all the time. Mm. Sometimes things will pop into my memory that I'm like, that happened 15 years ago. And I oh, really yeah. put my foot in my mouth that yeah. one time. And it just haunts you now and it's yeah. part of you. <laughs> yeah. And I, honestly, like these things are all coming up in my mind because I feel like that's what Jane experiences at the end of this episode where mm. he recognizes that his actions had um, fatal repercussions for someone that that yeah. respected and worshipped him right. and treated him the way he always wanted to be treated and that got that other person killed. Yeah. So he's like struggling with this idea of like, I can't change their minds about me. You know, when they, he has that conversation with Mal at the end about yeah. how the the mutters are still going to worship him no matter what the they do. Right put the statue back up, right back up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Mal says something I think that's pretty profound that mm-hmm. also really stuck with me from this episode. The idea that anyone who's ever had a statue made of them was some sort of son of a bitch or another. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and that, sure. yeah, that, you know, human beings are all flawed and mm-hmm. oftentimes human beings turn into a symbol that is not necessarily representative of who they are as a person, oh. but is what the, the symbol of what the people around them need, right. you know? Right. And I thought that was actually a really profound statement. I think there is a really interesting examination of, of the need of humanity to, um, to be inspired and to have hope in this episode. And the way that humans get through bad situations is by creating hope sometimes in places where it shouldn't necessarily be placed. Oh, yeah, definitely. And the whole episode is really about choices, too. Like, not just Jane's story and, like, his choices that led to where they are now, but um, the magistrate's son, Fess, and, like, he's grappling and like really wrestling with the philosophical idea of am i a man like what makes me a a virgin he's a virgin like his dad is just obsessed with the fact that his son hasn't had sex yet right this is the b plot probably because you you've got him locked up in a house with like the only people surrounding him are slaves right who's he gonna get with you know like right. at what point is that okay like well, his that's dad's a whole a, different his dad is probably a supplement. shitty enough person that he's like using his slaves for whatever he wants you yeah i'm just, sure he is he's, he's like such a, a slime ball you can imagine thomas that jefferson he's thomas of. fucking jefferson yes <laughs> totally but um but then like at the end he makes a choice to defy his father to let his enemy go his his father's enemy so that uh serenity which was landlocked Mm -hmm. so that they could try to grab jane cobb and take him to trial or whatever um the son overrides it because you know he's got he's got power he's he's a higgins on higgins moon right and um he made a choice to no longer be in his father's shadow a little bit yeah yeah, and it's interesting because Inara kind of pushes him to do that, kind of manipulates him she, to do oh that. Oh, yeah, she totally manipulates him. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit about belief mm-hmm. um, from from both of the story angles. Yeah, it does remind me of that moment. <laughs> One of my favorite moments of the episode is when um, the son, what was his name? Fess. Fess. Fess Higgins. When he starts talking about the hero of Canton and Inara mm-hmm. assumes it's Mal. Oh, yeah. And I then know. realizes it's Jane. <laughs> Misunderstanding. So good. So funny. But also you get to see a little bit more of how Inara feels about Mal, that he is this like stand up 
you know, honorable oh, totally. man. Yeah, she's because like this guy doesn't know the crew, and she's just like, he's just you know, he's a scoundrel, but with yeah. a heart of gold. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, he just can't help himself but help the little people. And it's like, right. oh, you like him, <laughs> right? Totally. Yeah, and I love that this show is always examining the fact that this universe like right and wrong is a little skewed you know yeah. where the universe is kind of wrong and then to 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 be right inside of a wrong system sometimes makes you a criminal yeah um but then the, but then they're also just kind of criminals sometimes who are just doing wrong yeah for wrong's sake just to just to make some money L- yeah that's also a big part of it morally right don't always coincide especially in in this universe yeah exactly yeah, so there's so there's always so many interesting layers mm-hmm. to uncover in all these episodes. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this is a bit of a tangent, um, and I gotta look it up a little bit, so we might need to pause for a second. But since we are talking about an episode that was on a moon, and this is uh, all space nerd good stuff, um, <laughs> I saw an article the other day. Ooh. Um, did you know? Okay, there are not. There are quasi-satellites of Earth that are not quite moons, but are not quite not moons. Really? Yes. Um, And I have to look up how to pronounce this, um, because there's a couple of them. They're basically asteroids that go around the sun, but they hit Earth, uh, or they intersect Earth's orbit close enough to Earth a few times every, like, rotation, um, that it changes the shape of their orbit around the sun oh cool so they're quasi satellites and there's a bunch of them but i wanted to bring up one because uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna murder how it's pronounced (laughs) cruinia (laughs) how's it spelled it's c-r-u-i-t-h-n-e which totally looks like something that's like irish uh, yeah, but Cruinia, I think, is how it's pronounced. It's a Q-type Aten asteroid uh, that has a weird orbital resonance with Earth and the Sun. So it kind of has like wow. a kidney bean oh, cool. kind of orbit. Yeah, yeah. Um, because the Earth keeps like throwing it out of a normal elliptical orbit. To to be an actual moon, it has to just orbit this planet. Yeah, that's right? why it's like a quasi-satellite. Yeah. So it it's like half not... orbits us, and the, but continues around to the sun. Yeah, it's like, orb... it's like mostly the sun, yeah. but it doesn't... So it's orbiting the sun, but dip. Earth impacts its orbit. Yeah. Uh, I think the official thing was like every seven to 800 years, so it's a oh, big wow. orbit yeah. that makes it dip, but... Um, Crazy. Yeah. I just thought that was that was worthy of mentioning. Nice as a space nerd. That was um, an awesome I, science I got, fact. I got really excited about it. I was like, "Quasi satellites! Oh my!" In fact, it was so good. I'm putting in a science fact stinger right here. Science fact. Science fact. Okay. Oh. Okay. I had. To, I had to share. I love that. Oh man, I. Something that's been really exciting for me about space nerds, like we've been doing the space news every week, and mm-hmm. I've been learning a lot. Ooh. Um. If you ever have science facts you want to bring in, holy shit. Oh, okay. I'll try to, like, flag things. Cause yes. That's what I've been doing. Yeah, yeah, every I've been, once in a while, I'm like, ah, I'm so excited. I've been flagging space news articles. Nice. Um, I would I would love to, if you find some science fact articles, okay. holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm so into that. Totally. Please. I will share, and then we can discuss yeah. them. Yeah, and we could do, like, little, I, little, okay. little, like, mini segments, and I could 
spread them out so yeah. you're on the show more often. That's okay. what I've been doing with the, the Space News in Alexandria. So Yeah. I'll, yes. I'll try to have a, like a handful of them next time so we can... Oh my God. Yes, please. Yeah. Holy shit. Okay. This is what Doug calls Meta Mercury, where we talk about how to make <laughs> the show on the show. Oh, yeah. Um, what, so when we go... Okay. All the space nerds haven't even met each other yet, but we're all is going to see... Is there going to be a panel? We're, well, we're oh, all going okay. to see Star Wars together. Okay. Um, I've been able to get... I think that's appropriate. Yes. That we, we all meet together for Star Wars. We're all meeting in Star Wars <laughs> in December. Um, I was able... Well, um, Andy's family owns a movie theater, and I, they offered some seats that yeah. I could reserve for the opening night. So it's very I, exciting. I put together... Oh my God, this is amazing. Let's get all the space nerds and go see Star Wars. So that's going to happen. I'm very excited about it. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to bring a portable recorder so I can get everyone's... Uh, take like immediate immediate impressions in the parking lot yeah that's gonna be the best podcast of the year <laughs> oh man such excite yes um oh my god now i'm distracted <laughs> what were we talking about what jamestown ta- uh oh, jamestown. Inara, the the choices that story in the, the sun the guy who plays magistrate higgins we looked him up he's yeah. been on star trek like five times oh yeah he's, I, the <laughs> he's very one of those faces, like, I've seen him play at least three aliens, and I don't know in what show. <laughs> no, I feel like he should have prosthetics on his face, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's a big space nerd. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I wonder if he is, you know? Like, well, maybe. I, these I people don't... who end up in all these sci-fi shows, you, yeah. you wonder, like, does Marina Baccarin love sci-fi, or is she just in a lot of it? Did she just need a paycheck? Like, what? Yeah. Did she do one show? Did She, she did Firefly, and mm. then, you know. And then Stargate. And then Stargate, yeah. and then V. Oh, yeah, V. I didn't watch all of i saw i have never seen it i saw i heard bad things so i avoided episodes, it i think i heard the pilot was great and it went immediately downhill yeah i feel like i got a few episodes in and it was like mm, no this is yeah. not what i thought i was watching so. yeah yeah i mean i don't know i'm <laughs> it sounds crazy but i'm picky about what i watch i know people think that's dumb because i think a lot of stuff 1999 lost in space is a great movie but <laughs> i love that movie it's so good it's so good it's so good <laughs> It's so good. Matt LeBlanc in space. Matt, yes, that was the name of the podcast Andy and I did about what? it. It was Matt LeBlanc in space. I'm pretty sure. No, it was called Joey in space. Joey in space. Uh, and I, I actually heard from a real person that they, like, oh, Jesse does a sci-fi podcast. I'm gonna check it out. And that was the first episode they listened to because they know Andy. Yeah. And it's like, well, he thinks this is a good movie. He's obviously an idiot, and I'm never listening oh, again. No! <laughs> you lost a customer. Oh, I did. Or a listener. I did. <laughs> I worry uh, that my opinions are too weird. You know. Well, for every one that you lose, you gain another one from the shadows. Like I hope creeping I hope. out and they're like, "Is this for me? Is this for me?" He's like, "Yeah, I think Lost in Space is great." And also, the Netflix Lost in Space was trash. Did you okay, watch it? I watched a few episodes of that too, and was just like, mm, "Yeah, no." I try to give most things a, a couple of chances. Like, yeah. not every pilot's going to be amazing. Yeah. And not every first season's going to be amazing, but with so much content out there, like, you can't always give everything a full season to get good. Sure. You know, if it's not good within the first couple, two, three, you're just wasting your time, probably. Yeah, it's so tough, because, like, I do know from experience that some of the best shows I've ever seen got good in their third year. Yeah. Or even their fifth year. I do Which is way too long to wait. I know. But, I see that about both Buffy and Angel. <laughs> Speaking yeah. of another Joss Whedon, you know, yeah. other shows, I, I'm usually a completionist, and I and I hate doing things out of order normally, but there are times when you want to bend the rules and you want to <laughs> show someone something 
amazing to be like, look, this is a masterpiece later. <laughs> yeah, you did this to me with Buffy. <laughs> yeah, because I got to give him a taste of the good stuff. My friend Laura got me into Buffy mm-hmm. and I, well, she showed me Buffy the first like season and a half oh, and I just didn't get into it. Yeah, no. It's... And I actually never came back to it until mm-hmm. you convinced me to and you showed yeah. me. Um, Probably showed you like Hush or the musical. Or, no, the music. I did, the musical's it musical. got a ton of It might have been Hush. Hush is a pretty good one because no, I'm not talking much, so. Um, or Restless, maybe? Was it the dream sequence one? It Restless was, is my favorite. What's the one where Xander is... Oh, the Zeppo? The Zeppo. It's all about with him. With the undead and, dudes, yeah, like the zombie dudes, which is so funny because one of those guys ends up being <laughs> Abraham on The Walking Dead, and he played a zombie in that episode. Uh, yeah. I, that, I think you showed me that episode, and I was yeah. like, okay, this was a lot better. Like, yeah. this was significantly better than what I watched. That so if this show's getting better, maybe three. I should try it again. So by that time, they had really hit their stride. Yeah. So it wasn't too far along that you were getting crazy spoilers, but just yeah. enough to be like, gets better. <laughs> yeah. And I think season three was where that show really picked up. It really me. took off. Yeah. Where I really started to like they, it. They found the groove. Yeah. And like Stargate is a great example where I think the first few seasons were a little slow, but it gets so good. It does get really good, but there's so, so much good. backstory that like you yeah. kind of have to slog you, through it. You're a Stargate person? I like Stargate. Well, I didn't watch Atlantis. Oh, it's great. But I loved SG-1. Yes! I didn't and, know this about you. And Stargate Universe. Universe is incredible! I need more Universe. I know. What a beautiful show. Oh, I'm so That's sad. another show where the first, like, the first season was a little too dour. And they really picked up the lightness in season yeah. two. And I think that they, they reached this perfect tone it was a nice balance yeah for by the time they got to season two yeah i, I like oh, things I a little it. you like dour a little dark <laughs> a little grumpy a little, like, <laughs> it feels does it feel more real if it it's does grumpy? feel more like well you're in space things shouldn't be happy-go-lucky all the time it's yeah. like you know it needs to be a little gritty it needs to be a little bit more like we are going to die if yeah. you don't do the mission right <laughs> yeah. you know like there needs to be stakes yeah i like both i like <laughs> A variety in my sci-fi you know yeah. like i like something like lost in space that feels just like a romp and mm-hmm. you don't really feel that much of a sense of danger right um if or I mean, even star wars is very much like that although i think star wars does a better job of making you feel danger but it's more in like mm. a fantastical way than in a like a real way right it's like a moral peril <laughs> Yeah. Like, oh no, the yeah. dark side. Yeah. <laughs> Not like we're gonna asphyxiate. Right. You know, totally. Us- usually the peril there is internal. Yeah. Like have you seen Sunshine? I love Sunshine. That's so good. I, that, that's I think a movie. I may have, I, I may have lent that to you a long time ago. I to saw. Be it, like you need to watch this. I saw that in the theater in no. San Diego. I remember you brought it to work. I made someone. I, I think was you like, brought it to work and was like, oh, I've seen this. Okay. I, I own this I, movie. For a while, I was like, you need to watch this movie and you need to watch this yeah, movie. Totally. I was telling everybody that I met. You've done that, that with that me met. for many great things. <laughs> okay. But that's one that I'm sure that you I saw it in the theater. Saw it in the theaters, yeah. That's, that's exciting. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what I was going in for. Some mm. friends were just like, we're going to go see a movie and it's yeah. sci-fi. I'm like, well, well I want to go. Okay. Um, and I'm not, I was, I hadn't really watched any horror at that point. And mm. this is definitely more on the horror spectrum for sci-fi. Yeah. It's not, it's not like an event horizon, but it's, you know, it's like walking in that direction. Yeah. Um, but it has some of the most incredible moments 
of any science fiction movie I've ever seen. I like love that movie. Tell me what you see. <laughs> it definitely goes uh, really far towards the end. Mm-hmm. I need to I need to revisit that movie. It's been a long time. Yeah. Um, the 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 science is a little questionable. Sure. But the fiction yeah. is well, great. Well there's that that scene where they have to like traverse um like from one airlock to another through the vacuum of space and they mm-hmm. have to like wrap themselves up in that stuff and try to blast themselves through. And the science of that scene was, you know, reasonably accurate. That stuff was good. Yeah. It was all the stuff about like jump starting the sun. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Well, we can ignore that. <laughs> Spoil- spoilers. I mean, it's not really, that's, they tell you from the that's get the go. That's, yeah. that's the whole point of the mission is yeah. for the ship to like, wasn't there something the sun like, is dying it's the far future of earth and they're gonna go to go yeah. to the sun to drop off cold. a ton of bombs to try to jump yeah. start the sun with yeah a bunch of nukes like yeah don't yeah know. and the first people but that went there to do that we lost contact with so we're sending a second mission which is yeah. very 2001 ish mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know i love it or am i thinking of, i'm thinking about i'm thinking about 2010 actually not 2001, 2010. Like, we lost contact with the ship, so we sent a second ship to try yeah. to see what happened to the first ship. Did they make another movie of that? Of 2010? I read, I read the whole series with the... Yeah, me too, actually. Way Lu- back in Lucifer the day. Lucifer and the diamonds and stuff. But... I don't... I remember nothing. <laughs> oh, I remember... There was... I remember there was four books. Small fragments. There were four books, and the last one is 3001. Yes. And it's uh, the same... I don't know if it's like... A, cloned guy or if he was cryogenically yeah, preserved one of the guys from the first book reappears in the fourth book like a thousand years yeah. later but not the one who became the star child right the star baby or was it him i don't it's been so long Think? i don't remember but they made a movie of 2010 okay with I don't john remember. lithgow i never saw the 2010 movie it was really good okay. i really liked it it was it was nothing like 2001 because 2001 is like a tone poem right it's like space opera it's to the extreme it's an incredible incredible movie Mm -hmm. that uh that you you can't even try to make something in that tone again so they didn't they just made you know it was the one yeah it it was perfection and you didn't need to try it again it It doesn't need a reboot or anything it was just it's what it was yeah and 2010 was more um trying to be realistic and you know Mm. a little bit more it was like an 80s sci-fi movie and it kind of felt like one okay and i loved it because i love 80s sci-fi movies yeah. uh and i really liked the story and i liked the continuation of the story but fans seemed to hate it because it was not at all like what 2001 was yeah well nothing can be so exactly maybe, That's they, the maybe point. they shouldn't have made that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all i have to say but speaking of old movies i f- i feel like i missed an opportunity alien Mm-hmm. turned 40 this year oh, wow. and was back in theaters for a few days <gasps> no sorry to bring this up now oh no i <laughs> missed it it's too late oh that would have been so fun i missed it too because i was i was really sick for the past few days wow. and then like other things were going on it was on sunday tuesday and yesterday oh no <laughs> um and i that was a missed opportunity because like if ever there was a time that i would like really watch that movie in the theater <laughs> yeah totally that's one i've been thinking about throughout this conversation mm. for some I reason i haven't actually seen it oh really yeah. um yeah you know i saw it uh after i started the podcast it was the first time i saw it I, mm. like three years ago or something okay and we did an episode about it yeah when i watched it for the first time but i really i really really like it um or maybe i saw it once before no i saw it like 
I think I saw it like within a year before starting the podcast and then watched it again for the podcast. It doesn't yeah. matter. I saw it not that long as ago. an adult. Okay. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I saw it in my late twenties for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um and I've seen it at least twice, maybe three times, but it's really, really good. It's a really good movie. Yeah. And, and that's ha- another one that like really set the the, tone, the bar and yeah, the tone for like, totally. you know, space horror. <laughs> totally. You know what's funny? Talking about making a sequel to a movie that didn't need to be made. Did you did you see Blade Runner 2049? I did, and I'm one of the few people that loved it. I th- it's a great movie. I really liked it. Okay. Um, I <laughs> But the whole time I was watching it, I was like conflicted as to whether or not they should have made it mm. even though i it really liked it necessary yeah exactly there was yeah. nothing but it was beautiful and well made it was gorgeous um and i'm excited to see what denny villanoive does mm. for, for dune, dune. Yeah. yes <laughs> i gotta read dune one of these days i love the movie uh i read the first three point just like one <laughs> books the first the first trilogy um is great yeah um but then it starts going off into crazy town <laughs> and i just i couldn't get through i think it was dune messiah or uh-huh. whatever the first one is after the main like trilogy it gets really weird yeah i i've heard that from other people and that's one of those things where like i'm such a completionist that mm-hmm. I don't know, but I think with Dune, I could probably just read, like, even the first book. Oh, and, yeah. And maybe put down the rest. At least the first book. Um, the The main story kind of does go... I mean, it continues with all the main characters for the first few books. Okay. And then it, there's a huge, like, time jump. <laughs> okay. Um, so you can read, like, the first three and then stop? And then, you, and then you're good. Like, you don't really yeah. need to read the next seven books or however many they they keep going for a while his son yeah. actually kept going with oh the that's series. right yeah um so it was frank herbert and then brian herbert i think yeah picked up the series and it was in... sorry brian they're just they're not great <laughs> <laughs> sorry buddy <laughs> yeah this kind of comes back to this idea of like is it better to have too much of something or not enough of something looking at firefly we were talking about is it better to have yeah. just the 14 episodes that we have because it never had a chance to jump the fark, jump the fark, <laughs> jump the shark, or get bad. Yeah, well, that's that's part of why Firefly is so good and people still love it. And it has yeah. this you know rabid cult following is because every episode was so cohesive and tight and timeless and just a hundred and ten percent every episode. If they had, you know, seven seasons, they may have petered out a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, they may have recycled some plots. They Almost have, certainly they would have. There would have been some filler episodes. Yeah. Yeah, because can you imagine all those actors, seven years older, still mm-hmm. stealing stuff? You know, like, it would start like, to feel weird after a while. I'm getting too old for this shit. Yeah, totally. Like, where does it go? <laughs> I mean, I could imagine, like, three seasons of Firefly being just absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. And... You know, there's a lot of shows that only lasted for, like, a couple of seasons that are still classics. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still so bummed that we didn't get more than 14 episodes, but there's a part of me that I would have been really happy with two seasons. Sure. You know, that would have been great. Yeah. Like, did you ever watch Sports Night? The uh, Aaron Sorkin comedy? I, I watched a couple. There was... the So, the main guy in that... Uh, I'll let you get to your point. Yeah. Peter Krause? But the main guy in that was in a sci-fi movie called crossover oh 
Uh, Which guy? The guy from Six Feet Under? Or the, there was two main guys. Oh, well, I only watched, like, an episode of okay. that. Okay. I didn't do early Sorkin. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do what you're going to do, and I'll try to look him up. While okay. Well, I was just going to say that that's a show that only lasted for two seasons, but I rewatched them, like, over and over again. I was mm-hmm. really into it. Um, my dad and I would used to, like, stay up after my mom would go to sleep and watch Sports Night. And even the second season is like a significant step down from the first season. Like mm. something about the magic and the, the chemistry and the sparkle of the first season did not translate to continued production. Uh, and I wonder about Firefly being that way. And season two was still really good, but then they got canceled. So the show never had a chance to really get bad, but it felt like it might, you know, it felt like it might get it bad. It was already. Did you watch um, his other one that didn't make it that far? It was mm, the- Studio 60. Yeah, Studio 60. I watched a good chunk of it because I love Bradley Whitford. I love Bradley Whitford. I'll watch him in anything. He was great in that. And I was oh, sad so that good. that got canceled, but it came yeah. out right at the same time as 30 Rock. Right, and they were right, like, right. The, the same show. Same show. <laughs> I always liked Studio 60 more and I was yeah. bummed that it was canceled. But yeah, he, Aaron Sorkin has such a unique uh, style of writing because I love The West Wing and I watched all of it, including yeah. the three years they made without Aaron Sorkin because he was having cocaine issues. Oh, buddy. Um, and the show is so much better with him than without him, but still watchable without him. But it's just really fascinating. I'm so fascinated with how everything about things West are Wing made. Was fun. Yeah. yeah, West Wing is a great show. Okay, so coming back around to yes. sports name. So it was uh, Josh Charles. Josh Charles, Dan Rydell. Yeah. <laughs> so he was in this movie that I loved. Okay. It used to come on. I want to say HBO or like Encore, like one of those movie channels that you just like had as a kid. Yeah. I want to say that like it was just always on this movie. Cross Worlds is what it was called. Cross it came Worlds. Out I've never heard of it. Ooh. Uh, it has Rutger Hauer, <laughs> Josh Charles, and Jack Black. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's the last name I would have guessed. I know he's a he's a bit character. You only see him a little bit. But uh, man, I loved the crap out of this movie. We should watch it sometime. Yes, and we should talk about like old sci-fi movies. Yes, absolutely, um, absolutely. I loved please this movie dearly. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, we don't just have to talk about Firefly, <laughs> Miss Miss Space Nerd over here. <laughs> well, it is my main love. My big yeah. squeeze, Firefly. Yes. Well we gotta get through it first. <laughs> right. Well, I mean we don't we could take a break and watch another movie if we want we're, to, but I'm just saying we're halfway we will now get through it. Yes, we are halfway. Janestown marks the midway point. That's true, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um well how do we how do we feel about Janestown as far as how many Vera's it gets? <sighs> it's tough because, you know, it's Vera's his baby, and this is all about Jane Cobb, <laughs> the man who made the gun that we're using our rating system on. So I feel like it should have some sort of little bit of a buff sure? from that. <laughs> but it's not my favorite episode. So that yeah. being said, I'm gonna give it like a like a six. A six. Vera's. Yeah. Wow. I guess it's my turn now, and I'm just realizing I haven't thought about this. <laughs> Um, man, I love the character interactions of all the main characters. There's so much good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like the broadness of the episode. I feel like the comedy goes a little too wink and a naughty, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I think this was, I want to say this was the fourth episode that actually aired. Mm-hmm. So they were very clearly heavily leaning on Joss 
and yeah. Tim Minear to be like, be funny, make it funny. Yeah. <laughs> and it was written by Ben Edlund. I know he's like, um, he's he's been around. He did a lot of Supernatural and yeah. something else. That's a big favorite. Is he the guy who wrote the, the Tick? Yes. Is that him? Yeah. Are we sure? Yeah, yeah. Because I saw that name and I was tick. like, isn't that the Tick? Mm-hmm. Same guy. Crazy. So, and that yeah. that actually makes a lot of sense because the Tick comedy is really over the top in a mm. way that's so fucking wonderful. Yeah. And really works. Yeah. But I feel like was was too much for this episode. But well, now knowing that that was him, it kind of makes sense why it got into this episode a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It's um, very uh, in character for his writing style. Yeah. I do really like the way the plot unfolds in this episode. I'm trying to I'm trying to rate this right now. I'm trying to talk mm, myself into a rating. Yeah. I really like the way the plot unfolds. I think that surprising Jane with, you know, with being the the hero of Canton and then like him coming to terms with that and it's then regretting than that. You would think just from like the surface of just oh the hijinks. Yeah. Um. It's it's deep. It's like the philosophy of existing like what do you believe yeah you know yeah and and we didn't even talk about the other subplot with river and and book and, and, book. and talking about beliefs she's like sure she tore up his bible and tried to rewrite it because it wasn't logical and it didn't make sense and he's like it, do- it doesn't matter what right. it is it matters what you believe it is yes you don't fix it it fixes, it fixes you, you. Yeah. yeah and th- you know what that does tie into this whole story of jane giving people hope yeah. which i hadn't really thought about before um, I do really like the like the issues that this episode brings up, and I feel like it does a good job of asking questions that can't be answered and mm. leaving them open ended, right? In a way that, but not in a super depressing way. <laughs> yeah, I'm fairly depressing. That's pretty dark ending <laughs> for. Yeah, I think I mean, this is a six. You I think you're right. Yeah. I think it's a six. Yeah, yeah. It's there's a lot there pretty, to like. It's 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 pretty good. Still watchable many yeah. years later. I we we chuckled. There were good times had. Yes, but not my favorite. Yeah, so me I have either. to you know I have to give it a little bit of a. Yeah, I think you're right on with the curve six curve on the lower end of that bell because there's just so much that's better. Yeah, the show. Is I, is this our lowest rated episode yet? I think it might have been. Possibly. We've been I doing give, this for so we've spread this out so much. It's hard to remember. Did I give? safe a lower rating it might i have, think you might have i might have given it like a five i think it's one of my least favorite episodes and i think i gave it like a seven or maybe bushwhacked that's also oh, one of my yeah. not favoritest episodes yeah so maybe not the lowest episode but on the lower end of on the lower end firefly for sure although the messenger for me is the lowest episode mm, yeah yeah what's next is it out of gas next when do we get to out I, of gas i'm pretty sure it's ariel Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Ooh. So if we're watching them in order, yeah. Out of gas is um towards the end. Okay. It's not last last. That's objects in space. But right. Um, I want to say it's well. It's definitely before 10, the messenger. Uh, yeah. Uh, the message. The message. Yeah, oh, no. so I'm thinking of the game from Nintendo you're gonna, Switch. You're going to get corrected by the internet. Yeah. <laughs> We'd be so lucky to have enough people listening to get corrected. If you, if you want to put in the comments right now yeah. your, your thoughts and your feelings on this. Yes, correct me. Um, great game. Really good game on the Nintendo Ooh. Switch. Completely unrelated. Um, yeah. Speaking of Switch games, yes. uh, have you played Untitled Goose Game? No, but I I've, I've know of it. <sighs> <laughs> Did you play it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard such good things. Oh, it's amazing. Um, it's just unbridled joy in being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. So it's very cathartic. Um, 
just running around being a goose and just messing with people. Yes, just, that's, I've seen it played a little bit. It it's looks great, delightful. I I cackled frequently while I was playing <laughs> that game. <laughs> Have you heard of a game called The World Next Door? No. Do you like story-driven games? Yeah. Um, Yeah, this was a really interesting game. There's actually a free demo on the Switch eShop. Oh, nice. But something about it I think you would really like. Wait, is that the one? There was one that I wanted to talk to you about. It's a pinball game. Oh, like Yoku's Island Express? There's a couple of pinballs. There's Creature in the Well. No, I don't... mm, let Let me look it up. Um... It's beautiful, but each, uh, I can't remember. I have to rely on the internet. Uh, so yeah, there's this game, um, The World Next Door, where you play this human girl who uh, gets to travel to the world next door, which is like a parallel world that's full of magic. Mm. And like we've discovered this portal between our world and this magic world. And then you get into some magic trouble and have to learn how to cast spells. And, oh, nice. But this casting spells is actually like this interesting puzzle mechanic where you kind of have these battles where you're like on this puzzle play field. But the characters are really interesting. And I think characters that you would really enjoy. But yeah, there's a free download uh, to try it out. So I, I think you might like it. I will have to check that out. Because, well, not that I have <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Uh, I can't, I can't find it. I'll have to look it up later and tell you, but it's like, uh, it's not strictly pinball. Like you're this character and you're fighting off things and, but the, the environment that you're in is basically a, a pinball like table. Yeah. And so you have to like charge up your sword and like fling it across the thing to make the yeah, that sounds like creature in the well light up uh, i can't remember what it's called hold on pa- we're gonna we're gonna save okay. and google for a second we'll be right back we're back we got it it is indeed creature in the well okay that was yes. really hard for me to remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah i saw that game in a in a nintendo direct and i and then i saw it again later i'm like that's called creature in the well that doesn't make any sense yeah the name doesn't necessarily go with the trailer that i watched but yeah, i'm sure there's, there's a point reason. i'm sure there's some plot that yeah i think that you're like i i saw a game reviewer talk about this game he said you're like underground or something and there's a big creature down there so mm. it's a very literal name a pinball inspired hack and slash yeah uh, dungeon crawler yeah i feel conflicted about um digital pinball games because mm. to me pinball is the, the pinball ultimate is- Tactile, video game like, because it's analog because it's real yeah. you know and like it gives me the same pleasure that playing a video game does mm. except that um you can't ever tell a pinball table that it glitched you know well you can all the time I mean, when when like a it, piece right? of machinery gets fucked up inside because <laughs> oh, that okay. happens constantly but yeah. like the ball going down the center mm-hmm. you know there was never any doubt like that ball went down the center right because it's real it's like physics it's yeah just like yeah i'm not gonna change that with anything you can do to the table really right and like breath of the wild is full of these like physics based puzzles Mm. but the pinball table itself is a physics based puzzle i mean you can you know tilt the table or slap it or do all this stuff to manipulate it Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't know about at first glance that you know if you watch a pinball pro play it's beautiful it's like Mm. watching a a dance dance. yeah Yeah. so my my favorite game to watch is competitive tetris um pinball's up there but i actually mm-hmm. like the classic tetris world championships is about to happen oh and i'm pretty fucking stoked about it nice. but that's also like a dance watching these people you yeah. know make these beautiful perfect stacks it's, it's very so satisfying good. yeah i love it we, we we went off the 
We, we did. We, we oh, off. did you? Did you gave it a six? I gave it a six. Okay. We, we finished we, we and then just kept it. talking. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> so we're having so much fun. So much science out there, and games, and books. And yes. Movies. Yes, but I think we I think we covered Firefly episode seven. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> and, well, and a lot of other things for sure. Lo- lots of it could have been glazed over. I think we talked about all the salient bits. <laughs> yeah, you know, we don't need to like rehash every moment of right. every episode. We need to like discuss the things it's that are interesting to talk about. Not full commentary on the episode. Yeah. But at the same time we, we talked about the good stuff. But at the same time this was longer than the episode. So oh, there you well, go. Well <laughs> uh, it, it was better than commentary. <laughs> yeah. So we got more Firefly coming up uh with Jane and then we should we should watch that movie one of these Cross days. Worlds. Yes. Oh my god, I love it so much. I really want to do that. And hopefully some science facts. Yes. Oh, I'm going to start making note of things as I, as I come across things that make me squee for science. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. We can, we can have a new segment, squee for science. Squee for science. <laughs> I'd be really into that. Well, Jane, thank you so much. This is so much fun as always. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And Thanks until always, <laughs> until next time, stay nerdy out there. Yeah, stay nerdy out there, folks. Space Nerds is listener-funded through Patreon. To support the show and gain access to bonus content, sign up at patreon.com slash jessemercurysci-fi. If you love this podcast, help me spread the word by sharing it on your favorite social media platform, leaving us a positive rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice, or by contacting me directly via email at sci-fi at jessemercury.com. For more cosmic content, including my sci-fi synth-pop album, music videos, podcasts, and live streams, visit my website at jessemercury.com. Keep it spacey, baby!